Hey everyone, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Kevin Morris with you for another episode. We are on our final episode here on Teaching Thursdays covering the book of 1 Peter. And if you've been with us, you'll know that uh, last time we took a look at chapter 5. We made it through the first 11 verses, but I mentioned that what I wanted to do in this episode was cover that last little section that we see, 12 through 14, to close the book and then take a quick survey of uh, some of the things that we've talked about uh, to really get uh, our minds wrapped around uh, the big idea that First Peter has for us. And so we're going to take a look at verse number 12, read 12 through 14, and then do a little bit of uh, recap for us, okay? So here's what it says. It says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So there's our closing statement from Peter uh, to put the letter to an end. So it's likely that this Sylvanus, we heard by Sylvanus or by Sylvanus or by Sylvanus because we're English speaking people, most of us, and we typically look at these uh, names and we just pronounce them however we want to. So, insert your uh, pronunciation of choice here, uh, frankly. Uh, But this is the same one mentioned by the Apostle Paul, most likely, in his letters, and the one who is associated alongside Paul and Timothy. So, it seems that this faithful brother, as Peter calls him, was the forerunner of this letter to the elect exiles among the dispersion. Remember those... uh, that name, that phrase, is how Peter described his audience, the elect exiles among the dispersion. So this man has the letter. Peter writes the letter. This man is the, uh, is the runner, is the one that gives the letter, makes sure that it goes to these people. So what's interesting for our purposes of understanding Peter's theology is to capitalize on Peter's own classification of this letter. So according to him, 1 Peter is, as he just said, a brief exhortation and declaration of the true grace of God with an application of standing firm in it. It's fascinating to have this because for many people who read and study the New Testament epistles and they form outlines and they analyze the writing style to try to understand what the author's purpose is, but yet Peter makes it very simple by literally telling us what this letter is all about. So we consider the true grace of God as the theme. Perhaps we can safely come away with this statement. The true grace of God is the firm foothold of faith in God, and the God of all grace is how we should understand God. We see that back in verse 10. Let me just read verse 10 for us again. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, 
and establish you. You remember that kind of closing uh, benediction that Peter gives there back in verse number 10. And as we just saw, what he's doing is he's connecting that idea of this God of all grace as what he describes uh, here in the close as what he's just given to us, what he's just declared is the true grace of God. So how do you understand the God of all grace? Well, you understand what grace is. You understand who God is. You understand how it relates to us in this world, especially in this fallen world. These are all the things that Peter's doing in this letter. Because God's grace is our help. It's our foundation in times of momentary suffering, as Peter says, this suffering for a little while. So his intent here is to encourage those who have been scattered among Asia Minor, which is the area where these elect exiles are, undoubtedly questioning the promises of God. And this letter has been a reinforcement of God's grace. We have a wrong view of grace and of God as the dispenser of grace oftentimes, and Peter helps us to see that suffering is a means of grace rather than an obstacle to grace. Verse 13 is probably um, the most debated in this little passage here. He says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. So the, the speculation, of course, is, okay, what are we talking about when we see the, the, the word Babylon? Because Peter uses uh, what would have been a very well-known identif- identifier, Babylon. If you read any of the Old Testament, you know Babylon is uh, the, where King Nebuchadnezzar reigned. It's that world power that came along and, and finally destroyed the, the southern kingdom of Judah. Daniel and his friends are taken uh, along with others. Uh, into exile to Babylon. So it's interesting that Peter uses this uh, designation. But what does he mean by it? Because Babylon, as such, is not in existence at this time. So Babylon was known, uh, most likely in this Old Testament, but some scholars do think that this Babylon was still a literal place, although just not a world power. And there's, in my opinion, very uh, little, if any, evidence of that. Yet there's still this remaining Babylon at Peter's time of, of writing. So, some see this as an indication of the Gospels spread to a literal place called Babylon. And we do see two... Uh, distinct mentions of Babylon elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, Sometimes, as in uh, reflections upon the Old Testament, that Babylon is mentioned, the historical Babylon, the one that Daniel and and, uh, the rest of southern Israel that went into exile, that Babylon. But we often, and I would argue, Generally speaking, always, <laughs> if you can generally speak about always, where Babylon is mentioned in the New Testament, it is a symbolic reference. Think about Revelation uh, sixteen nineteen, Revelation fourteen eight, 
Babylon is described, it's very clearly in the midst of symbolic uh, references to point to the, the evil world power as opposed to God's kingdom of holiness. But this does create problems because the context of Revelation is symbolic, as I just said. So when we try to wrestle through this idea of, of Babylon, um, we're trying to understand how is Peter using it here because we're not necessarily in a symbolic letter, right? We Peter has not been using these incredible uh, symbolic terms throughout his letter, like we would see in the book of Revelation, and yet we know that Babylon is not a literal place, or not a literal world power at least. So, is it out of step to say that what Peter is doing here is using symbolism? Well, I don't think so, and I don't think that you have to kind of open the floodgates of let's decide what we can interpret symbolically and what we can't in this letter, because that can obviously turn into a distortion of the text. Anything that doesn't seem like it should be literal, I would just say, oh, that's symbolic. And we don't want to do that the way that we interpret the Bible. So for me, I tend to agree with John Calvin that we shouldn't immediately encode Babylon to mean the Roman Empire. This is probably the most classic view. Um, I do think that it's a fair view that when we read She Who Is at Babylon, when we think about Babylon symbolically as a wicked world power, what was the wicked world power at the time of Peter's writing? Well, it was the Roman Empire. It was the empire that arrested Paul during his uh, missionary efforts. It's historically where the emperor reigned who had Peter and Paul uh, put to death. So certainly this is a, a hostile world power, the, the Roman Empire, towards Christianity at this time. It's not until after the blood of the apostles and the blood of the Christians that helped get Christianity to a uh, safe place, as it were, uh, that you could actually be a Christian safely in, in Rome. This was a, a dangerous thing. But as I say, I tend to agree with Calvin that we shouldn't immediately encode Babylon to mean Rome when there is evidence of a large Jewish populace in Mesopotamia. Peter's ministry, as we know, is largely to the Jews, and it is likely that this simply refers to a Jewish congregation in Mesopotamia. So the idea that Calvin is saying is we actually could refer to Babylon as a literal place, and just because Babylon in the Old Testament was this vast world power doesn't mean that when Peter uses it here that it automatically has to be a symbolic reference to a new world power, or that Peter is making the case that the Babylon during his time was this vast world power. So the point is, how do we understand Babylon in this context? Well, we could understand Babylon as a symbolic reference to the Roman Empire. So Peter is saying, this church that's gathering of people at Babylon sends you greetings. That would make sense because the people that Peter is writing to 
He's talking to them about suffering. He's talking to them about pressing on. And so he just said uh, earlier on that what we should do as Christians is to remember that these sufferings that we're going through are also being faced uh, by our brothers and sisters elsewhere. That's an encouragement. That's a way that we don't um, internalize our suffering. And for Peter to say, remember your other brothers and sisters who are uh, in the midst of the most uh, crooked and and wicked place that they could be in terms of somewhere that's hostile to Christianity. That would be a great encouragement to the people that he's writing to. So that it is uh, a good argument to make that Babylon is the Roman Empire. But somebody like Calvin and and others who are uh, just world-class commentators made the point that there maybe is a large Jewish populace in Mesopotamia in uh, what we would know of today, uh, thinking of Babylon as kind of the the general area of Iraq, that there were Christians uh, gathered, Jewish Christians gathered at that time, and Peter is simply making the point geographically, those who are at Babylon send you greetings. He's talking about a literal place, but he's not talking about this world power. He's just making mention of Christians that are in uh, a different area not meant to be interpreted or decoded, as it were. And so, the point is, either one is a fair uh, interpretation, and just to put it bluntly, um, you can find um, world-class interpreters of the Bible that are going to disagree with each other on this point. So, do your due diligence. I just wanted to take a few minutes there uh, as an aside to just talk about... uh, how we should think about whether or not to interpret something symbolically in the text. I don't think it's out of step, but it's just the case, especially if we listen to to Calvin's view on this, it's just the case that you don't have to take Babylon symbolically to refer to somewhere else um, in order to avoid that Peter is making an argument that there's this world power Babylon at his time, which there's no historical evidence that you had any kind of a world power Babylon by this point. Okay, enough of that. So secondly, we have Peter, who says, Who else sends greetings to them? So does Mark, my son. So we have Mark, my son, who um, we know to be John Mark, uh, the Mark who writes the Gospel of Mark, the Mark who in the book of Acts has... um, a falling out with the Apostle Paul for a while. This John Mark. Um, Some have mentioned this fatherly role of Peter um, to be uh, fleshly, to be literal, and they appeal to the fact that um, we know in the Gospel accounts that he did have a wife. Um, But according to church history, um, it is said that Mark accompanied Peter in the way that Timothy accompanied Paul, and we also often know that, uh, or we know that Peter, that Paul rather, often referred to Timothy as his son, and he didn't mean that in a uh, literal sense. And so we really should uh, understand this relationship, which uh, Peter makes mention of with Mark, um, not literally. So here we are in the middle of one verse. 
um, making the argument to interpret one thing literally and one thing not literally. Uh, Babylon, probably literal. Mark, my son, most likely not literal. And this, this just really emphasizes why um, the context is so important. While not only the context of this letter, but the context of the New Testament, the context of uh, different uh, aspects of uh, biblical interpretation that we just need to keep in mind. We need to wrestle through these things before we come to our conclusion. So we wrestled through Babylon, made the argument of why it could or could not be interpreted symbolically, and now we're wrestling through this mention of um, Mark as Peter's son, whether that's literal or not. I think it's not because we do have that precedent that Mark accompanied Peter the way that Timothy accompanied Paul. And Paul refers to Timothy as his son. Peter now refers to Mark as his son. And there's no argument that this has to mean uh, literally. So, the close, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Okay, so since brotherly love and affection, that Greek word, Philadelphia, is a common thread in Peter's epistle, and it's synchronized with patient suffering and trials. It seems fitting that Peter would both send, verse 13, and command, verse 14, affectionate greetings among those who are in the dispersion, so as to uphold their unity and their love for one another in the face of trials. We saw this idea back in verse 9, that the church can indeed resist temptation and stand united, when they call upon the Christian witness of suffering that is so common to one another. So this close is one of affection. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Notice what he does there. He closes the letter by this twofold um, bond. First is the bond that he mentions between one another. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, frankly, um, you're not going to do that with somebody that you don't feel a really close bond to. You probably shouldn't um, unless you have a close bond to that person. But Peter is making that argument that, that brothers and sisters in Christ, this unique bond, this sharing together, this going through it together, this looking forward to the same uh, reward mindset, and it's meant to encourage them. But Christianity is not just about um, our friendships with one another. It's not just about community, as it were. It's not just about um, rallying around a cause. But it's grounded, that horizontal relationship is grounded in the vertical reality. That's what he closes with. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So the reason the person-to-person fellowship matters so much, the reason that it's um, inspirational, the reason that it's so encouraging, is because it's grounded in this relationship with Jesus, this peace that we have in him. Paul's favorite terminology of union with Christ, he often talks about us as being in Christ, and Peter here 
utilizes that same phraseology, though it's subtle, though we might miss it. Um, we might just read this last line and just assume, oh yeah, he's talking about people who are saved. Uh, but that's just a poorly summarized and abbreviated way of talking about all of the glory of our salvation. Most importantly, that we who are at one time enemies of Christ are united to him and are united with one another in him. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. That is not a throwaway phrase at all. And as this letter closes, what we should do is hold fast to that unity by which we have been given by God to withstand all of the prowlings of that devil who wants to be like a lion, the devil who wants to devour us. Um, that way that the sheep and the shepherd are, are used so much in Scripture, and they're used in a way to talk about our dependency upon the shepherd, uh, but it's also used as a way to talk about what the wolf does. The wolf wants to find the sheep that's drifting away from the rest of the fold, the sheep that's by itself because it's easier to pick off. Um, that's the name of the game here. Uh, we just, although the devil in this sense is talked about as a lion and not a wolf, the idea is the same uh, that Peter closes the letter by talking about the fact that we as sheep are united to one another and need to be with one another because that's how we overcome these obstacles, these temptations, these dangers uh, that the devil wants to use to destroy us. And at the same time, it does us no good if we're simply um, with each other, if we're not also with our shepherd, if we're not also united to him and listening to his voice and, and trusting him in the places that he leads us. And so that is how Peter likes to close this letter. I think it's a profound way uh, to close the letter. Peter, no doubt, saw his charge as um, the leader of God's people uh, in the way that Jesus gave it to him. And we talked about this uh, last time, that, that Peter, in the close of this letter, is reflecting upon the fact that Jesus comes to him uh, after the resurrection, to reinstate him, as it were, uh, after his denial three times. And it's fascinating that Jesus comes to him and he asks him the question three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And so the way that he answers that is to feed and tend the sheep. Uh, Jesus gives him that commission, feed and tend my sheep, uh, feed them, protect them, be a good shepherd. And this is exactly what Peter wants us to see that Jesus, as the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls, um, is the one that we are to be uh, grounded in and united to, and in that, as sheep, united with one another. So I hope that this has been a great study. I hope that you've been encouraged and really appreciate uh, this New Testament letter. Um, I feel like it's not allowable to have a favorite book of the Bible, um, and so I won't say that this is my favorite book of the Bible, um, but if we're allowed to have one, 
Um, I often these days find myself gravitating more and more to First Peter. Um, I love the book of James. I love the book of First John. But First Peter has really been profound for me in the last couple years of studying it, and I hope it's been an encouragement to you. And so we will jump into a new study uh, next time on Teaching Thursdays. I'm excited to speak with you about that, and we'll uh, we'll do that next time we're together on Teaching Thursdays. But until then. Uh, Have a great rest of your week, and thank you for watching and listening to the Better Bible Reading Podcast.